0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Everything in this world is a parable. Everything in this world could help us, teach us, give us insights because everything in this world ultimately comes from Hashem, comes from above. they are parallel universes. Everything in this world is like this is the tip of the iceberg that reflects or comes from a root, a holy root, a, a holy source. So everything in this world, if you open your eyes, can help us see and understand something godly. But that's all it is. It's a parable because everything in this world is split off is disconnected you don't see an obvious connection you know it says lions the angels are also called lions holy lions holy animals but no one in his right mind is going to think that when you're looking at a wild animal looking at a wild at a lion that you're looking at an angel you're not going to Take a walk in the cage with the lion, with the hungry lion, that's because the source of the lion is the angel. The lion is not an angel. The lion is a a wild animal. They'll eat you up, eat you for dinner. The lion in this world, its root and its source are the heavenly lions, heavenly animals. And therefore, there's some characteristic traits. So looking at the lion, you can extrapolate and helps you understand some characteristic traits of the angels. So everything in this world is split off, is disconnected. When I look at this world, I don't see its godly root. I don't see its godly connection. I see a tree. I don't see the godly creative energy that's creating the tree or the root and the source of what a tree means in the heavens or in the upper worlds and the upper realms and the divine realm and the gods, the ten divine emanations. What an apple means? There's an apple amongst the ten divine emanations. There's an apple. Where, where does the apple come from? But looking at the apple, the apple is not the divine apple. It's a juicy apple, but it's not, it's not a divine apple. It's an apple. But everything, the sweetness of the apple, everything in this world helps me understand is, uh, comes from a higher source. And Just like you can compare the sweetness of the apple, the physical sweetness of the apple, to, the, to a sweetness that's a little more spiritual, a little more subtle. The sweetness of, of doing someone a favor, the sweetness of love, the sweetness of a song, the sweetness of, a, of an intellectual insight, the sweetness of, an exp- of a spiritual experience, a mystical experience... So, everything in this physical world has a spiritual root. Where does sweetness come from? Sweetness begins in the apple. Sweetness, the physical sweetness is a taste, something. A tip of the tip of the iceberg of what real sweetness is. What's real sweetness? Spiritual sweetness. The deeper you go, the more you're getting to the root and to the source of where sweetness comes from. Which gives us an idea of what, when you talk about heavenly sweetness or... Godly sweetness, it's so beyond our grasp, but at least we have a parable that can help us understand whats what's, we can have some idea what sweetness is. But the physical sweetness that acts as our parable is disconnected from its root, from its origin. This is physical, this is spiritual, this is godly. But since this is its root and its origins, and therefore it's a parable, it gives us some understanding. I like can tell a parable, you tell a child a parable of, uh, of monkeys and donkeys and animals. And, uh, so, and So the child gets a little understanding of what you're trying to tell them. But of course there's a pale comparison. You can't compare the parable to the moral of the story. So when you say that from my flesh I know God from my own personality and character, from the makeup of my personality, the right and the left and the center and the ten... Um, soul abilities, the mind and the heart and the ability to implement it and the ten faculties of the soul this is, yes, this is a parable this does help us understand, gives us some understanding of the ten sphere, but that 's all it is is a parable it 's disconnected it doesn 't truly reflect the source it doesn 't truly reflect God. However, by the Jew, however, because we have literally a piece of the divine inside of us, we have a godly soul. This is what makes us Jewish. The godly soul literally is the breath of Hashem. Unlike the rest of creation, including the angels, God spoke and the world came into being. So God speaks, it's like the king commands and something happens. God speaks and the world comes into being. So whatever God creates is... is disconnected from God but when it comes to the creation of Adam who contained his soul contained all the Jewish souls throughout all the generations it says God blew into his nostrils and that was his soul God's breath was his soul not God spoke and it came into being God spoke and the angels came into being God's breath God breathed into Adam so God's breath is our soul So our soul is a piece of God it's inseparable from God so therefore from the makeup of the personality and the character of our godly soul the ten faculties of our godly soul we can truly get a glimpse of the ten sefirot of the divine of the ten divine emanations because our soul is godly we are made up of the same substance that is our substance there's no disconnect there's no disruption So therefore, all the faculties of the soul are permeated with godliness. So when you take a regular human being and you talk about his wisdom, his understanding, his knowledge, his love, his his restraint, his his compassion, his competitiveness, all of that, yes, it's a parable. It helps us understand. It gives us some idea from a human being, from a human point of view. It gives us some idea, uh, helps us understand it's a parable to understand the 10th sphere. but That's all it is. It's a parable. There's a disconnect. Versus the godly soul, there's no disconnect. When you talk about the Jewish soul, the godly soul, the wisdom of the godly soul, the understanding of the godly soul, the knowledge of the godly soul, the love of the godly soul, the awe of the godly soul, the compassion of the godly soul, the strength and the competitiveness and the overcoming... You're talking about, this is literally a piece of the divine. This is God. So from our own personal experience, we can get a glimpse of godliness, of the tenth sphere. Although, knowing the caveat that there's no comparison, it's like dust and ashes in comparison to the divine attribute of love. But nevertheless, from my flesh I know God. From my own personal experience as a Jew, from our Jewish experience, our Jewish soul, our Jewish personality, consciousness, from our Jewish consciousness, we can get a clearer understanding of God. But the consciousness of the godly soul, we can understand the ten spirot, so to speak, the consciousness of God, God's ten divine emanations. And that's what we're going to learn this week, and that's what he's going to explain.
2: Now all this the above-mentioned effect of the modic traits upon the resultant teachings or influence is only by way of allegory and does not provide a completely true picture of the Sfirot as they exist within man's soul. For all this applies to the rational soul, which is the lower one in man and derives from Kalipat Nova. This lower soul naturally inclines to lower, i.e., corporeal matters, so that even its intellect goes only as far as understanding the composition and so on of mundane things. For although the klipa which is the source of this soul is klippa noga, a klipa whose darkness is relieved by a ray of good, nevertheless it is wholly bound up with mundanity. But in true fact, we With regard to the spirit in the higher divine soul, which is a part of God us, all the internal and external attributes are directed to God alone. The divine soul is concerned with spiritual things alone, so that both its internal love and external chesed are concentrated purely on Godliness.
1: We have two souls within us. So the the animal soul or the ego soul is filled with ego consciousness. So it's our wisdom and our understanding and our knowledge and our love is all based on ego, ego consciousness. So therefore, at best, we can only only use it as an analogy to help us understand the Tenth Sphero, to help us understand godliness. Versus the godly soul is godly conscious. Our consciousness is permeated with godliness. Because it is godly. So, it's not just a technical fact that the godly soul only cares about godliness. The godly soul, that's what the godly soul is all about. To the godly soul, there is no other reality. It lives and breathes godliness. And therefore, its mind and its heart is filled with one thing and one thing only, exclusively. And that is godliness. Because to the godly soul, there is no other reality, ego doesn't exist. The definition of godliness is there is no ego. All there is is God. There's no other reality but God. So his mind and heart doesn't care, the godly soul, his consciousness doesn't care about anything external, superficial, money, power, fame, anything physical. It only cares about something deeper. Why? Why am I here? What's the purpose? What's the meaning? ego soul you can go through your entire life never asking you question why I exist period I feel very comfortable with it. I don't question it I don't challenge it it doesn't bother me I don't need a justification I don't need a rationalization I exist it's very comfortable it comes very natural no one has to go to school to be egotistical <laughs> 7 billion people across all cultures across the board you're born with it it's as natural as it comes you don't need any education I, I exist, that's the center, that's the foundation. I, I understand, I feel, I love, I'm attracted, I'm repulsed, I, it's all I. It's all based on ego consciousness. The godly soul is the exact, is the exact opposite. The godly soul, it's, why am I here?" It asks, every, what's the purpose? Yes, We exist. But why? Who is even troubled by these questions? This is an existential question. Why do I exist? The animal soul doesn't even ask these questions. It doesn't know what you're talking about. Why do I exist? What kind of silly question is that? I exist. The godly soul is troubled by this question. Why do I exist? Why am I here? I don't take it for granted. has to be a reason. has to be a purpose. What's my purpose? What's my purpose in life? But that's something that comes from within. That's something that's spiritual. Something that's godly. Take the soul for example. What's the soul? The soul has a mission. What's the soul's mission? The soul's mission is to animate our body. All 100 trillion cells. Make it come alive. That's its mission. So there is a why. Why am I here? Why is the soul here? To give life to the body. I have something I have to accomplish by coming in contact with the body and living in the body the soul gives life to the body that's the soul's mission hopefully for a long time for 120 years the soul will be busy with its mission of giving us life and health but that's something that comes from within it's not a mechanical event all the scientists in the world can't create the life of a fly the soul is something life, energy, soul something comes from within it's divine, it's godly So the godly godly soul is permeated with a sense of mission. What's my mission? What's my purpose? Why am I here? What's my mission in life? What do I have to accomplish? What do I have to do? Why does God need me? Why is everything here? Everything that exists has to have a reason. And the Torah tells us there's a reason. There's nothing in this universe, there's nothing in this world that's not covered by the Torah because it couldn't exist without the Torah. The reason why it was created in the first place was only because of the Torah. So so the Torah tells us what is the reason. Now it may be counterintuitive. The reason may not always be obvious. You can't take it to a laboratory. No laboratory in the world will answer you that question. Because no scientist in the world is asking that question. The scientist is asking, What is this? Describe this to me. Define it. Break it down. Tell me what this tear is. Tears. What it's, what's it make makeup? What's the makeup? What's the chemical makeup? Oh, but the scientist can't ask and doesn't ask the question, why? Why are you crying? <laughs> I'm sad. That you can't take to a laboratory. It's something intangible. That's the inside story. That go, that's going deeper. So this world, we live in a world of existence. Existence, we feel very comfortable with existence. Everything exists. Everything is prominent. You look at a tree. I am. I'm here. Everything announces its existence. What's the most powerful force in this universe? It's ego. It's the will to survive. Self-preservation. From the amoeba to the tree to the blade of grass to the animal, human beings. That's I am here. What that I is, how that I expresses itself. You have different, different eyes. You have very... High, uh, Driven people, highly motivated people, yeah, people who are ambitious to become very wealthy, yeah, people who want to have power, you yeah, have people who want to have influence, you yeah, people who want to leave a mark in the world, you yeah, people. Everyone is driven by an I. People want to enjoy themselves, enjoy life. So the I takes many forms, but ultimately everything in this world is driven by ego, ego consciousness, I. The exception is the Jewish soul. The Jewish soul is the odd man out. The Jewish soul—that's why the Jewish soul doesn't fit into this world. We're so we don't fit in, and we make everyone else feel uncomfortable because the Jewish soul questions the whole underlying assumption. What do you mean the I exist? What, mean, what kind of silly thing is that? What do you mean, I exist? What does existence mean? Why do I exist? Why am I here? That's not a reason. I exist because I exist has to be a deeper reason what's my mission what's my purpose why did God create me what does God need me what am I here for what do I have to accomplish and this is what drives the godly soul the Jewish soul we're not ego conscious we're God conscious the center is not I the center is Hashem and this permeates everything about us our whole personality our whole character How our mind thinks in those terms. That's why the Jewish mind thinks differently than everyone else. Because we challenge the whole underlying assumption of existence. Everyone else takes existence for granted. The whole focus is, how can I improve my existence, better my existence? But existence, no one questions existence. Only the Jew comes along and says, wait a minute. Why why, why are you taking existence for granted? First, existence is the greatest miracle. The difference between a poor existence and a rich existence is nothing in comparison to the difference between non-existence and existence. That's what a Jew, every Shabbat, a Jew celebrates and takes a step back and says, wait a minute, a whole week, six days a week, I'm busy creating and improving existence. Wait a minute. It's about what? Shabbos is about why. Step back. Why do I exist in the first place? Why am I here? The miracle of existence, the miracle of creation. Celebrating the miracle of existence. And questioning, why am I here? What's it all about? Getting to the soul. This is already, this is not part of this world. This is a taste of the world to come. This is not part of this world. This is not what this world is about. After 120 years, soul, that's what this, the world of the souls is about. The world of the soul is from within. The world of the soul is not about what? After 120 years, no more Chinese restaurants. It's not about what? It's all about Why? Why, and what's it all about, and what's the meaning, and it's all about the soul, the neshama, it's all about, it's a different level of living, true living. This is called living, it's not called living. Money, power, fame, externals, indulgence, physical, material, possessions, this is all superficial. Real living is, when you get to the neshama, you get to the soul, to the whys, and the meaning, and what it's all about. So that's really a part of the world to come. We get a glimpse of it every Shabbat. We get a glimpse of it. But this is the life of the Jewish soul. This is our life. This is our minds are wired differently. We don't think like everyone else. The mind is wired differently. We challenge, we question. We question. That's why all the great revolutionaries were Jews, because we question the very basic assumptions of reality that everyone else takes for granted. And we step back and say, wait a minute. We question. It. Why? Who says? So our minds think differently and therefore our hearts are permeated with Godliness. Our consciousness, our whole being, conscious being is godly. Not just a detail, this is what the godly soul is all about. Because we are a piece of the divine. This is what we're all about. This is our life. This is what we live and breathe. To us, Yiddishkai Judaism is not something that we do. It's not something mechanical, religion religious obligations, customs, rituals this is our life this is godliness Torah is godliness, mitzvot are godly tzedakah is godly being loving and kind this is godly this, this, is, this is our reality we live and breathe it it can't be compartmentalized it's like life itself it's 24-7 this is who we are On a Sunday and a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday and a Shabbos day, night, 365 days a year, this is who we are. This is my life. So, from our own personal experience, from this godly consciousness that we all have, carry within us, this gives me a taste. This gives me a truly, a true glimpse of godliness. From this, I can truly understand. I can truly sense and feel what the 10th Sphere And realize that we are a reflection of the 10th Sphere, because that's our substance. We are the 10th Sphere. Of course, in a very limited way, it's like the analogy of the uh, dust and ashes. As Abraham said very humbly about himself, I'm dust and ashes. Yes, I know where it comes from. I know where my love and kindness comes from. It's purely godly, and I'm a chariot to godliness, and I'm completely egoless, and I'm like channeling godliness. But how could you compare to the divine light, to the divine love, to the divine goodness and kindness? That's not only infinite, it's qualitatively something beyond our grasp after everything is said and done we're still human and finite our soul resides in a body so we're limited and finite and therefore as saintly as we'll ever be and as egoless as we'll ever be and as godly as we'll ever be and as pure and as holy we'll ever be it's a pale comparison it's like a secondary light it's not, you can't even compare it's not even in the same ballpark it's not that this is infinite this is finite it's a whole different but nevertheless the light that you do see is nothing other than that light there's nothing else there's no interruption there's nothing else this is it this is what we're all about this is what excites us what excites a Jew what excites our soul our minds what sets our minds and hearts on fire it's goddess. that's what we care deeply about that's what we love that's what we comprehend that's what we're aware of that's what we sense it permeates every aspect of our personality and our character and our being our minds and our hearts and our actions So therefore, that gives me an understanding of when we talk about God's personality, so to speak. God's ten spheres, the the ten divine emanations that God emanates from within himself. So this is the closest we get to help us understand the ten spheres. And we become, in a way, we become like a walking... We become God. we're not trying to humanize God... We're trying to godlessize humans. We're trying to make us a little more godly. We're not trying to take God and try to put Him in human terms. Many people just study the Kabbalah. They take God and, oh, now I know what God is. God is wisdom. God is understanding. God is knowledge. God is love. So I'm loving. So, okay, so I'm, I'm a half a God already. God is love and I'm love. Okay, of course, God is perfect love and I'm not so perfect. But still, so I'm a semi-God. It's the opposite. We're not trying to humanize God. First, we have to get rid of all those notions. We have to realize that God is so beyond us. That even his ten sfirot are beyond us. As Abraham said, I am dust and ashes. It's like a secondary light. You can't even compare. It's not even in the same ballpark. It's not even, it's qualitatively so different. But the purpose is to make us godly. To realize that we could be a living and breathing reflection of God. Our minds, our hearts, our consciousness, every fiber of our being, every bone, about every part of us should be where Godliness becomes a living, breathing reality. This is the purpose why the Torah speaks so much about the 10th Svirot. Not so much to talk about God, but to really make us into something a little more godly. That our minds and our hearts, which are a reflection of God should really become, be godly and permeated with godliness. That's the challenge of the Tenth Spirit.
2: Because of one's love for God and because of one's great desire to cleave unto Him, He desires with all His being to practice chesed in order to cleave to His attributes. This accords with the teaching of our sages of blessed memory on the verse, and to cleave unto Him clean unto his attributes. Just as God is compassionate, so should mortal man be compassionate. Just as God has an innate desire to practice kindness, so should a person's inner desire to practice kindness be motivated by a desire to cling to God. As to the attribute of this yes then, both its internal aspect, and love, and its external aspect, kindness, are directly, purely to God be faithful.
1: So as he explained earlier, there, there's an inner aspect to the, to the emotional attributes and there's an external aspect. For example, a person who's kind, when you're kind <coughs> to someone, doesn't necessarily mean you love that person. could be, I, I don't love that person at all. I couldn't care less about the person. But I'm a kind person, so I do kindness. Love is something more internal. I love the person. Why am I doing kindness? Because I love the person. That's a, that's a different level of kindness. When it's motivated, by an, uh, there's an inner drive. I love the person, I care about the person, and that's why I'm doing kindness, something personal. Kindness could be very impersonal. Yes, I'm a nice person, everyone will say he's a nice person, but does he really know me, does he care about me? He doesn't even know me, he doesn't, but he's a nice person, he's nice to everyone. He's just a kind person, he's just a nice, warm, giving person. But when it's love, when it's infused with love, the person loves you and cares about you personally, then there's a whole different level of kindness. So so to here, he's saying there's the inner love and there's the kindness. The inner love is you love Hashem. Your heart is on fire. You just have a love for Hashem. Imagine someone who loves Hashem. Just like human love. You're consumed with love. Your heart is on fire. You're in love. You're in love with Hashem. You just love Hashem. And therefore, you want to do kindness. Why? Because that's what God does. Hashem is kind. It says, why did God create the world? One of the reasons that are given why did God create the world. Because the nature of kind is to do kind. The nature of a kind one is to do kindness. So God wanted to do kindness. He created the world in order to do kindness. The whole world was based on kindness. So if you truly love Hashem, then you emulate Hashem. Just like God is kind, so if I love Hashem, I also have to be kind. So I'm not just doing the kindness because I'm a nice person. And I love doing kindness. There's something much deeper going on. It's not just a natural thing. There are animals that are also kind by nature. But this is a kindness that's a way of me serving Hashem. It's a, it expresses my love for Hashem. I love Hashem so much that I want to be godly. I want to act godly. I want to do what God does. You want, to, you want to love your friend. You want, you want to follow what your friend is doing. I want, to do what, I want to do what he's doing. God is kind. I'm also going to be kind. So there's a much deeper kindness. Personally, the kindness is not just limited to my nature. If a person just does kindness out of the goodness of your heart, out of your nature, you know, it's very limited. Everyone has a... Uh, everyone has a limit. You know, I have a limited amount of smiles for the day and I, I reach my quota. Okay, I've done my kindness for the day. But when your kindness is because it's motivated by godliness, God's kindness is infinite. So when your love and your kindness is motivated by your love for Hashem, then your kindness also has to be infinite. So even if you ran out of smiles, even if you're exhausted and you reach your limit, you go, you go the extra mile, you take the extra step. So it's not just limited to I'm a nice person and I feel like it and I'm in the mood. If it's a godly kindness, you're kind even if you're not in the mood. Because even the nicest person in the world, sometimes you wake up on your left side. Sometimes you're not in the mood. Not every day you're in the mood. We have ups and we have downs. But the person has a need. That person's need is today. It's his fault that (laughs) that (laughs) you have a down day. What's his problem? You know. If it's motivated by godliness, then you continue to give way beyond what you would do otherwise. What do you do naturally? So that's the chesed, that's the love and kindness. Okay?
0: It is likewise, with the attribute of Gezurah, those internal aspects is fear. It too is experienced only for godly causes. For example, to punish and to chastise the wicked with the punishments of the Torah.
1: So a person who has the attribute of Gevura and a fear senses the awe of God and the fear for God and the respect you have to have for God and so on who trespasses and violates and without any care, without any concern without any regard to morality to right and wrong and to truth and violates and tramples on Hashem's Torah your heart is on fire you want to punish the wicked you want to show that there is justice in this world you can't get away with murder. You can't just do whatever you please. This is God's world. You can't just live like a wild animal. You have to be responsible for your behavior. And if a person misbehaves, there has to be consequences. Otherwise, this world is just a jungle. This world is not just random and chaotic and just do as you please and nothing matters and are no consequences. This, this world is not a computer game. computer game, you can crash, you can lose the game. You just start over again. No big deal, there's no consequences. You can, lose, you can lose money, you can lose millions of dollars in your games. It's just a game. But life is not a game. The one who has gevurah is filled with the reality of Hashem. Where's the respect for Hashem? Life is real. We are real. God is real. Our behavior matters. Our thoughts, our speech, our actions. Everything we do and every one of us matters. And everything we do has consequences so a person should just get away with murder and he can just do whatever he please the punishments of the Torah it's not so much it's about realizing that everything that we do is real we are real and the country gives a person a tremendous sense of security and confidence to know that life is real that life is not a game he can do as he please and there are no consequences I can get away with murder so then it cheapens life then it means nothing then what's the point? what's the purpose?
0: who punishes those people?
1: Well in the time of the Torah when the in the times when the court um held sway, so then there were there was the court. There was there were punishments in the Torah. Um when the Jews had the authority. So anyone who violated the Torah, they're so, they were, yeah, they're yeah. in, exactly. so they were they had in exactly. So there was there was a court and there were But on the country it shows that society was on a much higher level then. We don't have that today. Because today it's like Life is a game. It's a joke. Do whatever you want. Act whatever you want. Say whatever you want. No consequences. No meaning. No purpose. You can say the biggest lie. You can do the most outrageous thing. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing matters. So the person who's a gavura the person, he's a serious person. He takes life seriously. I take you seriously. I, I can't. I can't pretend that you, you know. Oh, I'm nobody. And what difference does it make? And who cares? No, I care. And you should care, and it's real. So this is the gevura, the impulse. There's a fire. There's a fire. There's there's a reality check. That, a respect, a reality check. I have too much respect for you and for your behavior and for your actions. Have to have consequences. That's why there has to be punishment, strength, intensity, strength. There has to be consequences. So this is the impulse of gevura. So there's the love is is permeated the love of Hashem. The Gevura is permeated with the fear of Hashem, the awe of Hashem, and the strength and the, the mightiness of Hashem, the Almighty, the intensity, the, the awesomeness of Hashem, and the reality of Hashem, and the respect for Hashem. The king, imagine the king is here and, and you're playing around. I mean, you would be so incensed. You would be burning fire. Punish this wicked person. How could this person stand in the presence of the king and behave this way? Show such disregard. Imagine you were—you know—they wanted to send these. They figured out how to send the spaceship to reach the closest galaxy. They worked out all the technological problems. Some few private entra- entrepreneurs got together and they figured it out. And it cost them a tenth of what the government uh, would have cost. But anyway, they figured it. Out. The problem is that by the time they would reach the closest galaxy it would take hundreds of years. So the, the astronauts will never make it. They're gonna die on board. So they they decided to send couple, couple and astronauts. They'll have children on the spaceship and they'll give birth and they'll train their children. The children will train the children and ten generations later, they'll get there and they'll land and they'll mission accomplished. Anyway, you can imagine the whole world was watching 7 billion people. Everyone was glued to their iPhones and to the, to the television. The whole world gathered. 100,000 scientists were working on this project. It was like the greatest project mankind has ever known. And the training that was involved cost billions of dollars. And finally, they launched. It's a great fanfare. Now, the first generation was still close enough to have some contact, radio contact, with with Mother Earth. But by the time the second, third generation, it, it was dimmer and dimmer until they lost all contact, all radio contact. And they're hurtling in space out there. Now, life in the spaceship is very, very restrictive. You think the army is restrictive. You think it's like... You know they show you how to brush your teeth, how to tie your shoes. It's like, because the smallest thing there—it's so sensitive. You can destroy. You can the smallest thing, and you can destroy the whole thing, and you'll be marooned in space. You'll all die in space. It's such a dangerous. You, you can't afford to take any chance it's very highly regimented and regulated how you eat and what time you eat and when you eat and what's allowed to eat and how you tie your shoes and what you do. And you anyway, five, six generations, seven generations later, they, they, the youngsters started a rebellion. And they said, you know, they turned to their parents. By the way, this myth they handed down to us from your parents and your great grandparents, and every year you sit us down and you tell us the story and that they used to live in, in planet Earth and there were trees and grass and the sun and the moon. I mean, yeah, come on. Did you ever see this place? No. Did your parents ever see it? No. Did your grandparents ever see it? No. Your great grandparents? No. But we heard it from our parents. It was transmitted from generation to generation. He said, you know, it's Baba mice. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice myth. It's just here to restrict our lives. We want to lead a free life, free of restraints. What kind of nonsense? This is a free country. We're Americans. we have our freedoms there's no, we'll just choose and we'll decide what's right and what's wrong and there is nothing else there's no. we're not going anywhere we're not coming from anywhere there is no mission there is no point there is no purpose this is it what you see is what you get there's no other reality with throwing off all the shackles we're going to brush my teeth this way and I'm going to do whatever I want and I'll eat whatever I want and marry whoever I want and do whatever I want and there were a handful of of youngsters so said, wait a minute who argued with them I don't understand who, no one made this up you think they, they would go into all this effort to make up this whole story this was transmitted faithfully from our parents from their parents from their parents generation to generation this is all real and you know by the time it got to the last generation this is the most critical moment because all the heroic sacrifice of all those generations And this whole effort of the entire globe and the entire human race, everyone, all their eyes are on us. We now have to land the ship. This is it. And you're all playing around and playing games and this one fell asleep and this one got distracted and this one doesn't believe and this one is a skeptic and this one, this, this is it. This is the critical moment. This is what it was all about. Now is the moment. Now is the time. Me, you, I, this is it. Here and now. This is the story of the Torah. This is the consciousness of Guvura. Gavura means, the punishment means, are you going to be so selfish that because you want to brush your teeth this way and you want to do as you please, so you're single-handedly going to destroy and ruin everything that was built, that cost billions of dollars, that 100,000 scientists dedicated their lives to build, that all these generations, our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents with heroic sacrifice, sacrifice, everything they had, and even made the ultimate sacrifice, just in order that we should be able to fulfill the mission and communicate the Torah to all 7 billion people. And you are going to throw that all away because you had an urge? And you had an instinct. And you just wanted to do as you please. The question is why only 39 lashes? <laughs> you should get a lot more than that. <laughs> this is the punishment. It's not punishment, I'm getting back at you. It's punishment is because you're too real. This is, you know what's at stake over here? We're not playing games here. This whole reality was here for this, for this purpose. God launched us. At Mount Sinai, he launched us. Planet Earth. And he gave us a Torah, a mission. And it was transmitted from generation. And God knew it's going to take many generations. But here and now, today, we are the last generation. As the Rebbe would always say, we are the last generation of the old order of exile. and We will be the first generation of the new order of Mashiach. So we have to take all that wisdom and all that Torah and we have to land the spaceship. All that heroic sacrifice of all of our parents and ancestors, 3,800 years, all their eyes are on us. So we're going to throw that all away because I have an urge and I have an instinct. Uh, I just want to do as I please. So you can see why the person, the gevura, the element of gevura within the soul gets angry with a holy fire. Are you out of your mind? What's wrong with you? Wake up. This is real. We're not playing games here there are consequences to our actions. So the punishment reflects the idea that there's a reality here. Get real. Life is real. It's not a game. It really matters. We're not just a speck in the universe. A floating speck in the universe and who cares, just enjoy life. As long as I'm in the papers, as long as you spell my name right, nothing matters. Nothing. Of course it matters. Everything matters. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think—every one of us matters. If you think you don't matter, stop paying your bills for a few months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll, see, you'll see how important you are. <laughs> the whole world is hunting you. <laughs> Life is real. Life is not a game. It's a computer game. So this is the Gevura. This is the impulse of Gevura. When you realize a godliness, when you connect it to godliness and you realize then you have this righteous indignation. When you see evil and you see lies and you see you get angry. The prophets were angry. They thundered when they saw immorality and they saw evil and they saw theft and, 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 and abuse and power taking advantage of the they, they they got righteous indignation. That's gavura. That's something we don't have today. We don't see that today. No one gets angry about anything. Everyone is so cool. <laughs> the president refuses to get angry. Every day they're chopping off heads <laughs> in the right, left center. No. He we have, to, we have to understand the root cause not so simple we have to understand where they're coming from and maybe it's our fault and we didn't give them enough jobs and there's always the root cause we'll never, we can never win this thing we can never fight it we have to understand where's a little righteous indignation when you see absolute evil you just have to stand on the rooftop and just yell it's, hey, this is so insane how could you be so cool it's not a virtue. It's corruption. It's very simple. Very black and white. It's as simple as it gets. This is absolute, unadulterated evil. And you can't even name it? Imagine you come to a doctor and a doctor refuses to even name the disease. Is there any, any hope of a cure? If you refuse to even name and diagnose correctly the disease, call a spade a spade. It's just, it's just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. This, this, is, this, is, this is rotten to the soul. This is a corruption. Mm-hmm. But the Gevura, the Gevura, the Gevura of the godly soul is on fire. It's truth. It's godly. And therefore, when it sees evil, it gets all fired up. We have to fight it. We have to punish it. We have to uproot it. In World War II, there was no doubt who was right and who was wrong. Understand? Maybe they're not. Maybe it's our fault. We have to get to the root cause. It's just mind boggling. This is ten times worse than Chamberlain. Shocking. We have such leadership today—a lack of leadership. But when there's no godliness and there's no holiness and there's no truth and there's no indignation, there's no anger, there's no indignation. So this is coming from a holy place, coming from a good place. We have to punish the wicked. It's very simple. We don't. There's no playing games here. Good is good, and evil is evil.
0: And also to prevail over one's evil inclination, and to sanctify himself in that which is permitted to him, and to put up a fence and a hedge around the Torah, because of the dread and the fear of God, lest he might come to sin or forfeit.
1: So the second point he said is to. To overcome with that fire, that holy fire and zeal, it helps you overcome your evil incarnation and to practice impulse control. Impulse control means that even things that are permitted to you, I don't have to indulge. I don't, I don't have to indulge every urge that I have, every impulse that I have. I don't have to inflame my natural urges and instincts, even if it's kosher, even if it's glad kosher. It doesn't mean that everything that's culture and loud culture. I have to, as Nachmanides says, you could be a, a glutton and, and you could do everything that's legally that's right, but, but you're a lowlife. You could still be a lowlife. A person is a glutton, a person who indulges in every impulse. Yes. A person has to have self-control. A person has to have self-mastery. Just because I have an urge and have an instinct to do something so, I have to run after every urge and instinct that I have who's in charge and who's in control there mm-hmm. in general who gives us a right to eat to eat the meat why are we better than the animal you can make an argument the animal is better than us the animal never spoke much on her the animal never lied never slandered anyone <laughs> well, who gives us a right to eat the animal The only reason we have, the only right we have to eat the animal is because we can give the animal something the animal can't give it to itself. That is, we can elevate the animal. We are the only ones who have the ability to elevate the animal. When you make a blessing and you eat kosher and you eat it in the proper way and you take that energy and you think about Hashem and you're using that energy to serve Hashem, to pray and to learn and to do a mitzvah and to do good, you're elevating the animal. So the only right I have to eat the animal is if I'm giving the animal something. But if you follow every urge and every instinct, and every impulse that you have, then you are the animal. Then you know better than the animal.
0: You're not, is someone allowed to go hunting, like to shoot animals, even if Hunt, you're not eating them?
1: Hunting is not a Jewish sport. Firstly, oh, it, causes, it causes pain to the animals. Right? Yeah, it's right. very, it's, it's working completely working not. It's, it's, a not it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. not a same. Jewish sport at all. Yeah. You're not allowed to cause uh, pain to animals. It's very painful. You go wound the animal, and then you can. Uh, it's just not. It's not a. It's definitely not a, uh, you know, one of the seven Noahide laws, eating. you shouldn't cause pain to animals. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely not, and especially you can't eat it. It's not like you, you can't hunt and eat it. You have to shecht it. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's not an option. So it's, it's, so a person who just follows the urges and his instincts, and he himself is the animal. What's the difference him and the animal? The animal is greater than us. Well, it gives us a right to, then we, we're not in a position to elevate the animal. You could only elevate the animal if you're greater than the animal. Because if we're not an animal, if we're not an animal, then we can elevate the animal. An animal follows his instincts. A human being who follows his instincts, then he and the animal are, are the same. And it's even worse off than the animal. So a person has to be able to impulse control. And again, that's a very, very big challenge in our generation. We have a generation that has very, very low impulse control. It's almost inflamed. Every advertisement tells them, do whatever you want. Indulge. Indulge not only in things that you want, things you didn't even realize you wanted. <laughs> it, 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 every inflame, indulge in every single appetite that's out there. You have to try and experiment everything. Even something you, not even, you have no urge to. You have to inflame that impulse to do whatever I want. Nothing in the world is going to stop me. Not only things that I need, things that I don't need, I'll never need. Indulge every single whim and urge and that's celebrated today so a person a child who doesn't have any impulse control, doesn't know the meaning of no, has no restraints, cannot overcome any single urge or whim you're you're, you're raising a monster you're raising a wilde a wild animal and it's going to spill over in every area in life This is a very narcissistic, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed person who's going to wreak havoc to every person that he comes in contact. He's going to destroy everything in his wake. So this is a person, this is so key, it's so critical. The person who has givura, who has strength, as it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, at the beginning of the the fourth chapter, who is a strong person, Strength is measured by inner strength. Overcome your impulse. Restrain yourself. This is character. This is what builds character. This is what a person is really all about. You want to know what a person is all about? It's not by the things that he loves. The things that he will do. It's the things that he won't do. The red lines that he won't cross. His ability to overcome, to restrain, to keep quiet. That shows depth. That shows on a real person. That shows on character. This is Gevura. So this is the ability to uh, overcome your inclination. Overcome your, your urges and your instincts and impulse control. And sanctify yourself. Even something that's permitted and kosher and even glad kosher. It doesn't mean everything that's kosher I have to indulge and I have to do. Just because it's there and I want to control yourself. People who are on diets, people who have, have a certain self-discipline you know, people who are, uh, you know, people who live, try to eat, live a healthy lifestyle, have a certain discipline to eat what's healthy and to eat what's really good for them. What's, there's a certain restraint, a certain ability to say no, impulse control. Just because I want, so everything that I want, I'm going to do. People who don't have impulse control do very poorly in life, in every area in their life. Their relationships are poor. Everything in their life is very poor. It, it, it's, it's a critical thing. A person has to have givur, and this is something we don't have. Very, we have very little today. It's very... We're not teaching our children. I guess the best way to teach our children is by self-example. Mm-hmm. You can only teach by example. If the adults have no impulse control, <laughs> then what do you expect from the, the kids pick it up? But this is a critical element. It's a very strong, intense element. It's a powerful element. It's gevura, It's strength. It's power. It's real. it's, It's reality. And the third thing he says, to make a fence for the Torah. Because when you really care about the Torah, you want to be so careful. You want to make a fence. You shouldn't even come close. You know, you can't even get close to Fort Knox. You don't want the gold to be stolen. You make a big fence around it. You can't even get close to it. When you worried, something is dangerous, something is hazardous, you, you want to make a tremendous protection. You want to protect it and overprotect it and make fences. You shouldn't even come close to violating the prohibition. Like a woman comes to the... Actually, it was a very simple, simple woman. She can just barely read the Hebrew, she didn't have a chance in her life to be educated, because of the war, she never was, never was educated, and she comes to the Jewish bookstore, she's looking for a siddur, a prayer book, but she wants the biggest prayer book available, the biggest prayer book meaning the prayer book that has many commentaries around, I don't know if you've ever seen such a prayer book. There's one line of prayer in the page, and all around it, a full page of commentaries. And every line, every word is pages and pages of commentaries. The storekeeper knew this woman. He says, I don't understand. I mean, you can barely read the Hebrew. You surely can't read. This wasn't even in English. This is all Hebrew commentaries, very very deep profound commentaries by the great rabbis explaining the meaning of each letter and each word and each sentence in the prayer book. Why are you looking for such a siddha? This is a siddha for scholars. This is a prayer book for great, great scholars. Most yeshiva students don't even buy this prayer book. It's way over their heads. Why are you... Who's Why? Just listen, I'm a very wise investor. I use my prayer book a lot. I want to buy this prayer book, and I want it to last. I use it very often, every day, as a matter of fact. So I use the prayer book, I know the pages are going to wear off, the edges start wearing, you know, I use it very heavily. So if I buy a regular prayer book, the moment it starts wearing off, I miss a word here, I miss a word there. Here, there's like a little a little few words in the center of the page, surrounded by a ring of commentary. So here, yeah, it'll wear off, the commentary will wear off. But the prayer will remain intact. So I'll, I guess I'll always have the prayer. So I'll have this prayer book for a long time. So, uh, so we care, since we care so much about the Torah, we want a safeguard. The rabbis wanted a safeguard. That God forbid, to create a fence, that God forbid Roshim didn't even come close to maybe violating a prohibition in the Torah. So they created all these safeguards, all these fences... To Protect us. That's why they made all these rabbinic prohibitions. It came out of a sense of awe and fear. This is the command of the king. This is the wish of the king. God's wish is my command, and therefore it's, it's, it's sacred. God's wish is sacred, and I have to treat it that way. So, God forbid I shouldn't even violate it, even by one iota. Because that's the nature of willpower, a will. You know, will has to be 100%. If you ask someone, did, 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 did you do what I want, you didn't do what I want, it doesn't help if you did 99%. will have to be 100%, otherwise you didn't do what I want. If someone gives you directions, and there are 100 steps, turn right here and turn left there, and you follow 99%, of the directions. But the last bit of directions, you didn't listen, you didn't follow. Instead of turning right, you made a left. <laughs> what did you accomplish? You didn't end up where you had to end up. But I did 99%. What's wrong? 99% is a very high percentage. 99 out of 100, yes. But you ended up in the wrong place. It has to be 100%. If you miss the dot from the dot com, you'll end up, you'll end up lost in cyberspace. One little dot. Will has to be 100%. You did what Hashem wanted, He didn't do what Hashem wanted. And we all know it. Because we're all customers, we're all consumers. If the store doesn't, is not 100% the way I like it, it's not enough 99.9%. No. If it's not 100% the way I like it, the customer picks themselves up and is out of there. And you can't, you can't argue with him. But what do you mean? The, so it has 99% of what you want. No, I'm sorry. It has to be 100%. It has to be exactly the way I want it. And if if the service is not exactly the way I want it, I'm out of here. That's the nature of will. Will has to be 100%. When it comes to comprehension, you can understand 50%, 75%. I understand most of it. I understand half of it, half of the class, three-quarters of the class, some of it. It's also, I understand something. With will, there's no such thing. Either you did what I wanted, or you didn't do what I wanted. Either it pleases me, it doesn't please me. You did doesn't help, but I did most of it. I'm sorry. It's not not like when you're dating. There has to be some... There has to be this chemistry. It has to be... In that sense, it has to be 100%. But but the person on paper matches 90% of what I'm looking for. It's fine. But it's not... If it doesn't... If there's no connection, then I don't feel any connection. So it could be perfect on paper, but it's just not there's no connection so will has to be either it is or it isn't you can't be half pregnant it is or it isn't it's 100% or it's not 100% so when it comes to the will of Hashem the will of Hashem is sacred Hashem gave us a mitzvah Hashem gave us a prohibition it has to be 100% there's no cutting corners there's no playing games I can't do 99% of the Torah I'll do the mitzvah 99% 99 99.9% no if it's not 100% I didn't do the mitzvah I didn't do what God wanted God says it's very nice But that's not what I wanted That's not what I asked you to do And if I asked you Not to do something I asked you 100% Not to do it so, But, but I, mostly I didn't do it That's very nice But that's not what I wanted That's not what I asked for So when, it, when you realize That God's will is sacred And the mitzvot are sacred And it's 100% I'm not playing games I have to be so careful I want to make sure, I want to guarantee that I shouldn't even come to God forbid even to make the smallest nick to make the smallest infringement to violate, to trespass to transgress to be unfaithful to Hashem even in the smallest detail so therefore we make a fence all these rabbinic prohibitions and rabbinic fences to protect us God forbid we shouldn't come for example, don't mix milk and meat the Torah says you can't mix milk and meat doesn't say you can't mix chicken and milk. Biblically, there's no prohibition of mixing chicken and milk. Torah says meat, animals, not chicken.
2: It's
1: It's rabbinic. The rabbis said, the rabbis made a fence because the Torah is for everyone. And if a person is going to start saying, wait a minute, to one person, chicken is also meat, meat, chicken. So if chicken is allowed, the person will say, you know what? Because it doesn't say in the Torah chicken. It says, it says in the Torah meat, but the Torah is very specific. The Torah says don't cook the calf, the, 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 the child of the goat, with its mother's milk. So you say, you know what, it's only a calf, and it's only a goat, and it's only its mother's milk. It's not what the Torah says. So therefore, to make a fence, to keep it very crystal clear, no one can come to any confusion, no one can come to any mistakes, the rabbis say, no milk, no meat, no chicken, across the board, it's very clear, it's very simple, it's an all-inclusive prohibition, so you won't come to confusion, you won't come to confusion, you won't come to, God forbid, violate this prohibition. But But the rabbis were so careful, because this was out of a sense of awe, a sense of, so therefore, they were so strict. But it's a, it's a strictness that comes from a sense of the sacredness of the mitzvah, the sacredness of Hashem's will. That in order for me to fulfill Hashem's will, it has to be 100%. I can't play games. I can't cut corners. 99% won't do it. So to ensure and to guarantee that I'll be able to fulfill the will of Hashem 100%, the rabbis made all these fences. They were very strict. But it comes out of a sense of out of a sense of strength out of an intensity a a very vibrant a very vigorous relationship with Hashem a tremendous sense of awe and respect for Hashem's will and for God forbid I shouldn't come to violate Hashem's will even, even by a fraction and therefore we make all these fences to be extra careful so God forbid if I violate the fence this will protect me but meanwhile, I'm not electrocuting myself. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not violating the Torah prohibition. So all of these three examples that he brought are examples of the quality of Gevura. Sure. In order
0: to ensure that he will not come to sin, a person may thus choose to sanctify himself and refrain from 100 portals of the permissible, so as not to transgress in one portal of the prohibited summarize the above conclusions regarding the first two of the seven midot of spiritual emotions not only is a man's attribute of directly to God's godly matters but too but so too is his attributes of givu ra both in its internal aspect is the fear of God and in the ex- external manifestations in his rigorous observance of the Torah and its,
1: it's mitzvah someone who's very strict and very careful, this comes from a sense of the awe of Hashem, the sense of the reality of Hashem, the sacredness of Hashem, the respect that we have for Hashem. And we take Hashem very seriously. And, we, and we, Hashem's will and desire is very sacred to us. So what someone may, may appear to someone as strictness, as restrictions, we don't look at it as restrictions. It's not restrictions, it's not strictness. This is life to us. This is life-sustaining. This, this protects us, this preserves the, the Torah and the mitzvot, which is so sacred to us. So It's a whole different perspective. Okay, next week we continue, we'll continue on explaining the other eight of the attributes of the personality, of the consciousness of the godly soul. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project.
0: More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.